Angie, and I am an alcoholic. I'm also very scared tonight. They say put principles above personalities, and I've been telling you that all night, and I'm sweaty and scared. I come to you by way of Tijuana, by way of Burro. That's a Mexican horse. When I first got sober, some of the people that were up here were just like, uh, I was awestruck by these people, and I was thinking about how ironic that here I am now. I had such little, little opinion of myself to be up here and sharing my life with not only these people that I had up in pedestals, but also all of you Anglos. <laughs> it's good for me to be sober in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. That that's me. Chono. You didn't pronounce it right. It's good for me to be up here sharing me with you because somehow when I get up here and share me with you I get a little bit freer. And I don't know about you, but I've been in bondage long enough and I've hid me long enough. And it's good for me to remember that I am an alcoholic and that that we're all just drunks trying to stay sober one day at a time. And I walk tonight with the dignity of a sober woman alcoholic in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I am one of those that has conceded to my innermost self that I am a real alcoholic and have completely given myself to this program. It's not come easy and it's not come fast because I've been a hard-headed Mexican blood that has reserved the right to do it my way first. When all else fails, uh, follow directions is, the, is my motto. <laughs> to me, one drink is too many and a thousand is not enough. There isn't anything in my life that could come today that a drink will solve. I know that because I proved it all the way down as far as I want to go. I believe when I came to this program, Physically, I'm strong, and I always was, but emotionally, I was gone, and I wouldn't have lived to die from the disease of alcoholism. I would have killed myself, because that was the only way that I fell out of what I was feeling. My tongue is still bigger than my mouth, and I got a pretty big mouth. <laughs> oh, God. I am a, a Mexican from a barrio raised not too far from here. I don't know if there's too many here that know what a barrio is. It's a little Mexican community, and in the days that I was raised there, we didn't let any Anglos in, and they weren't too anxious to come in there either. And uh, we used to join the gangs and beat each other up and call it fun. And we talk about it in the back pew of the Catholic Church, because all Mexican Catholics go to Mass on Sunday morning whether we needed it or not. We're just like the Irish, and the reason I know we're like the Irish is because I have a girlfriend that comes from Ireland, and the only difference between them and us is they ate potatoes and we ate beans. <laughs> Man, we believed in drinking hard, loving hard, lots of babies, and Saturday night, the big fights, and go to mass the next day, go through my frog, through my frog, through my most curious <laughs> Somewhere along the line, when they were going to have the, the who, who I am being a part of the baby 
Uh, somehow you got switched along the line, and someplace over there is somebody that, that should have been born to this other family. Because they weren't ready for me. I mean, today they're not ready for me. And my mother is not really impressed with me, and she says things to me like, you're not an alcoholic, you're just crazy, you were always that way. And when I tell her some of the details of my story, she says, well, if you're an alcoholic, you don't get it from my side of the family. So she still, she still, still doesn't claim me too well. And I was born at a time when they kept uh, mothers in the hospital a whole week, and when they came home with this baby, they still didn't have a name for me. And the reason for that is because my daddy wanted to name me after his girlfriend. My mother's narrow-minded. This is from the beginning. I had an older sister that was perfect. And you know the type I'm talking about. They always told her what to do, and she always did it. And somehow she always did it right, and she screwed it up for me. I used to hate her guts for it. They used to whip me every day and twice on Sundays. I don't, I don't get you there. Somehow I could never do what them people wanted me to do, and I used to really try. And they were divorced when I was seven, and um, she would say things to me like, you're just like your father, and I knew what her opinion was of him. She didn't like him too well. How's that? <laughs> so she sent me to the nuns so they could teach me to be a lady. Somehow the conception of a lady never was very appealing to me. For one thing, once they said, thou shalt not, I had an overwhelming desire to do it. It, I may not have thought of it before, but as soon as they said, Thou shalt not, God, did I want to do it so bad. <laughs> so somebody dared me, and so I raised the nun's street, see what she wore under all them clothes, and, and, and they 86 me from catechism. And I hadn't even had a drink yet. It, 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 I got the whipping of my life, but you should have seen how popular I was with the kids next day in school. They thought I was terrific. And I found out something about me, how to get all that love and attention. Because it seemed to me that I was born with an emptiness in my soul, an absolute yearning, a longing, a hunger to be loved, to be wanted, to be accepted. And as a little girl, I used to worship my mother and just want her to love me so desperately, like she seemed to do my sister and my brother. And, and yet, no matter what I did, she was, she always disapproved of me. And of course, I didn't stop to think that I used to beat up the other kids and break into people's houses and take the piggy banks and you know, things, uh, throw dirty underwear out of the windows. And I, those things never occurred to me at the time. The only thing that I remember is having that yearning. So when I started getting the attention from them kids, I found a way of getting, of being the center of attraction. And because uh, I was always a ham. And I think that I still am. In fact, you probably already know that I'm a ham. And everybody knows what a Mexican ham is. Huh? It's called pork and beans. <laughs> now I know it's a part of me and it's okay. That's okay. I accept it and I even like it. And sometimes I make it worse than what it is.
I ran off to be with my daddy, and he was over in the San Fernando Valley, and I knew it was going to be better over there. Because all the time that he was gone, I used to fantasize how it was going to be better over there, and no wonder my dad left because of her and, and stuff like that. When I went over there, he had taken up light housekeeping with a lady who's got eight kids, and all he wants is one more, and here comes trouble. And he used to take people up there to pick grapes and prunes, and we were fruit pickers. And God made two kinds of Mexicans as fruit pickers and non-fruit pickers. And I ain't no fruit picker. They try to make a fruit picker out of me. But we stayed beyond the season with the Gallo brothers. And they gave my dad a case of sherry wine, and I think somebody must have said, Thou shalt not. Man, I had a big water glass. <laughs> I sure went and looked that big. And man, when it hit my stomach, it went off like a firecracker and everything felt good. I don't know about you guys, but man, was that good. And something that good, I want more of. But I don't know about you, before I know it, it's the next day. It seems to me that it was always the next day. I came to and my hair stuck to my face where I'd thrown up all over myself because I was also a puking drunk from the beginning. And my clothes are torn and I know I did something terrible. And I don't remember what I had done the night before and I had a sense of being dirty. I had a sense of guilt that went all the way through me. And I wondered what I had done and scared to death they're going to tell me and scared to death not to know. Today I know that feeling to be remorse and guilt, and I didn't know what those names were. I just know how I felt. And it seemed that all my life I started looking up at people's faces, wondering what I did the night before. I came back to my mother's shortly after that, because could, they couldn't stand me over there for long either. I just never fit in any place. Never in my life have I fit any place except the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And you come on and you get nothing else from my story tonight. I know you will get the idea that I love the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and that I have found a home here. And I always had so much self-pity because nobody ever wanted me and I never fit in anywhere. Today I am grateful for that because those are the things that keep me into the program here because I have found here this is where it's so satisfying to me and when I came here I didn't have any choice uh, in the matter it was so I was so desperate but many many things happened to me between that first drunk and hopefully my last drunk my mother didn't want me home she said she'd been free on me over a year her and my stepfather didn't want me home and I had a loneliness, I had a knot the size of my fist, and, and I wanted desperately to tell her to please love me. I needed to be loved so desperately. I couldn't reach out for that which I needed. I just put a wall around me, put my nose up in the air, and a snotty remark, and I said, I don't care, I don't care, I don't give a damn if they don't love me. But I did care, and I did build them walls around me that said I didn't care. But somehow I always had this loneliness within me. And you could have always cut my heart out with a feather. I was always so sensitive to rejection. I started running the streets, living here and there and everywhere, never really having a home. Nobody really could stand me for long. And I became a party girl. When I discovered them parties and the booze and the boys and the cha-cha-cha, man, that was terrific. And I was... Um, I always drank a little weird, though, and people were always saying things to me like, why do you drink the way you do it? 
You always drunk before the party start. And why don't you take some buttermilk or some olive oil or eat something before you drink? And so when I did, all I did was ruin my clothes because I always threw up. It seemed like, and they were always trying to save me from drowning. I was such a happy drunk that every time I'd get an I was either really hilarious and, and trying to love up some guy or else I was trying to kill myself. That's the type of a drunk that I was. They were always there and really had to fish me out of the bathtubs where I decided to commit suicide. Or that thing just... I was one of the original topless, bottomless dancers in Orange County. I don't even get paid for it. And I don't even remember it. <laughs> you know, the girls are always so willing to tell you stuff like that the next day. No wonder I never liked girls. And uh, so I used to beat them up because violence is the only language I ever understood. And that's the only way I ever could prove that I was somebody. And I had to be violent and I had to try to be mean and, and cool and all those things that, that scared, lonely, inadequate people feel. Uh, I also don't know how to work, so I take up a vocation called burglary. It's still not very feminine. Anybody in here who lived over in Lemon Heights in the late 40s or early 50s, I'd like to make my amends tonight. You ain't going to hope I don't get drunk. You and Laguna Beach people better not invite me into your homes. And uh, I thought that was so exciting and the most, the most, the only thing that I remember ever stealing that, that was worth something to me was a full length muskrat fur coat. And the only reason I know that's what it was is because when they arrested me, that's what it is. I just know that when I put that coat on and would, would go to them bars, I felt like somebody. And I needed to feel like somebody. And when I would walk in, I would just walk in with my, my satin dress and my long fur coat, my nose up in the air, and here I come. And two hours later, they dragged me out of there with my hair down and puking and cussing and fighting, and I just could not maintain. That was the type of a kid that I was, and you know, I, I was one of those that never had any controlled or successful drinking or I don't know about that stuff. Well, the day came when the state of California discovered me, and they sent me up to do a little bit of time. They don't like for me to break into people's houses. And I do 13 months, and when I got out, I said, man, I never want to go there again, because I like to do things as I want to do. If I do it my way, then they put you in a little room. And without any, uh, if you want, except a nightgown, no magazines or TV or anything. All I got's me. And you know how I am with me. So I don't ever, I start to think. And I, the, uh, the movies and the magazines all say, go out and find you a husband. So I went out husband hunting in places that husbands are not to be looked for. And I found one. He was a dreamer like me. He says, babe, should we get married? He built them castles in the air and I lived in them. And three months later we were pregnant and I was married in that order. And um, I married a junkie. And that's a mainline heroin user. And you just don't live happily ever after with one of those. And he introduces me to little white pills with crosses on them. I don't know what they are, but I sure know what they do to me. Man, I had one eyeball over there and one over there, and I'd make little baby clothes all night long. Put them together, 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 put them together,
But many a time I used to have to come home where there was not enough chemicals to kill what I had in that cold water shack that when I would walk in and turn the lights on, the sink would be black with cockroaches. I don't mean a few. I mean thousands of cockroaches. And there was mice in the filthy floor. And the romance of being a mother had long since died and the responsibility for this girl's weighed heavy upon me and I felt guilty that I didn't want to be a mother. Today I know I was a child in a woman's body and I did not know how to be a mother and they had the big eyes they were absolutely terrified of crying and they would look at me with them big eyes trying to figure out how to be with me because they were terrified of making any noise if I made it they made any noise the monster would come to and I would just couldn't stand their little baby noises and I would start screaming and yelling and beating and beating and I'd start I'd say to myself, for God's sake, stop, stop. And I couldn't stop until there was blood gushing out of their mouth and their nose. And when a semblance of sanity would come to me and I'd look at what I did, I just hated me. I thought I was the only thing that them two little girls had had between them and life, and it was yet me that they needed protecting from. I've heard many women come into the program and say that they've taken away their children and they're very sad, but I remember thinking in those days, for God's sakes, won't somebody please take my little girls and give them a normal life because I knew I couldn't. Somehow, I thought that there was a monster that lived within me. Way down inside of me, there was a little spark of the woman that I am tonight, but I thought that there was a monster that lived within me and I couldn't be what there was deep down inside of me that I that I wanted to be with my girls. Uh, if I would have changed anything in my story, I think that I would have changed that part. It was so heartbreaking. I would have rather not gone through that. But that's my story, and it took me a long time to forgive myself for it. It took me a long time to be able to share this with you because I thought I was such a monstrous person. And I come to free me to share it with you to free me. And I know that someplace, somewhere, there's going to be some person out there that has experienced the same things, the same guilt, and the same feelings of being monstrous. And so I come to free me and to free you by sharing this part of my story with you. I can tell you today that, that the slate between my girls and I is clean today. And we have a beautiful, beautiful relationship and uh, that we can love uh, real love because we have walked through so much pain and so much joy together. Going on with my story, after a while, CB got tired of me trying to kill him, and he got another girlfriend. And uh, I started getting letters to the mail from my doping husband. There was some place in Texas getting the cure. He sent pictures home, and he looked good. And he says, babes, this time it's going to be different. And, and it was. We made the Mexican Geographical. We moved 20 miles from Mama. And we moved over to Miraloma. That's over by Norco. And this dolphin and I, and we bought a little ranch with the chickens and the turkeys and the horses, and we were going to be farmers. And we even joined the PTA. And that first Christmas, I was a librarian, and this dolphin gangster was Santa Claus. And those folks had only known on whose lap their little darlings were sitting on. He had tracks in his arms, his legs, his neck, and we really tried. I know I tried. I was going to make this second marriage work with this guy no matter what. I put everything I had in it. I even married him in the Catholic Church, and that's going to any length for a Catholic, especially since he was a Methodist. <laughs> 
And so you can you can tell how determined I was. But it is a long be- between that life somehow is not. I can't feel in it. I, I, and today I know that I'm a firm believer. You can place me in the best of circumstances, and sooner or later I got to create whatever is inside of me because it's inside my skin. I can't live, and I can't be the way them people look because I've tried it. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for me. He starts making a run to uh, to Orange County to his connection, and somehow it slipped through my fingers. Somehow my hopes and dreams were going through my fingers, and I needed so desperately for him to straighten up. So I started making the runs to the wineries. I started backing out from life. I want to beat up my neighbor. And you don't beat up neighbors when you're respectable, I guess. And I back away from the PTA, and I and I just start backing away. I start drinking in my bedroom. Now is the time when I know what the words agony, despair, and utter loneliness. I know those words. I experienced them in the bedroom in Maryland, where I used to lay on my bed in a fetal position and cry out and cry out in agony. I had come to the place in my drinking where I drank and I drank and I drank and my body's drunk and my mind's in agony. And I read the Bible and I pray and I do all those things that, that you're supposed to do to get saved. And I go to, to, to different churches. Uh, some of them, they say, anybody wants to be saved. And, you know, I'm always the first one that wants to go and be saved. I plead and beg with God to please help me. And uh, people were no longer coming around me. Then people called relatives. I, they just got tired of me abusing them physically and emotionally. Because and, I'm telling you, I yelled and screamed and threw things at them. And they just got tired of my abuse. They would always tell me how to be. For God's sakes, I always knew how to be. There was never anything wrong with my standards, with my values, but it was my performance in comparison. There was support, and it's a gap in between that causes the agony, and I just want to die. I just want to die. I know it's never going to be any better. So I prepared to die. One of the things I knew if I died, I didn't want my girls to be there alone. So I wait until he's there one day, and so he's watching television, and I go and tell him I'm going to kill myself, and he says, okay, goes back to watching television. <laughs> so I take a bath, because uh, I don't take very many baths by this time. Uh, that When you're drinking wine in your bedroom, and you wear a blue and white menu that's not very blue and white, and you don't make it to the bathroom too often, it has have accidents along the way. So what I did is I went into a bath just in case I died. I don't want to be caught dead dirty. They know. <laughs> so I saved my sleeping pills, and I'm going to die. And um, I came to a couple of days later in a rage. I was so angry at being alive because I just wanted to die. It wasn't anymore for attention. It was I was just tired. I was so tired. And here I was alive. That has got to be the loneliest day of my life. When I realized this man had been in bed with me both nights, and never once did he consider taking me to a doctor or to a hospital. He had saved the packages from the sleeping pills and showed them to my daughters that in case I died, the police would not blame him. That is why the love of the people in Alcoholics Anonymous is so precious to me, people like Colleen. 
that have loved me so much. When I first came to Alcoholics Anonymous and you'd say we care and we love you, I didn't believe it. I did. How could you love me? How could you care? You don't even know me. That's so phony. But you showered that love upon me and showered it upon me until I started believing and something was inspired within me. And I learned to love you a long time before I learned to love and accept me. But I have learned. That's why you're so precious to me, because I know what it is to be so utterly alone that nobody gives a damn. I know today as I look back that my higher power has always had his hand upon my life because he had it that day and I didn't know it. You see, that very day there's a knock on the door is a lady from the PTA. And if there's somebody I don't want to see is a lady from the PTA. I gave it them boards up a long time ago. I mean, I'm a Mario Mexican and you know you don't tell nobody nothing. you got all that, that street ethics. But in the moment of weakness, I let her in and I lay my tail of woe on her. And you know I got a tail of woe. I ain't telling her anything about me. But I'm telling her about this SOB, how I fell for his story again, and how he done me wrong. And uh, I remember this lady stayed with me for, for a long period of time. She just stayed with me. Throughout the conversation, she asked me if I ever heard of Al-Anon. And I never heard about Al-Anon. And I got the idea that if I went there, he would straighten up. And I was willing to go to any length to get him to straighten up. Because he was straighten up, he could take care of me. And I can't die. So I get myself cleaned up. She helps me get cleaned up and takes me to Al-Anon. And somehow I don't fit in in Al-Anon there. <laughs> I feel a little bit like a homeward in a nunnery. There was no identification between me and them square broads. But every so often she'd come and get me, and I'm a people pleaser. I don't know how to tell her I don't want to go. Besides, I go just in case I hear things like release. Now, I know I can't divorce him. I'd married him in the Catholic Church. I had enough points against me. So I go around and I hear about release. And I came home one day and I told this guy, I'm going to learn to release you, you SOB. And then I'm going to kick you out. And if you don't need them on the floor, hot wax in your ears. I had read that someplace and it sounded good. It sounded like something he deserved. So after a series of nights of him sleeping in the front room and me watching him and scaring him half to death and him sleeping with a knife under the pillow, uh, I, he used to say unkind things to me. He'd say, baby, I may have a monkey on my back, but you got an orangutan. And one day I came home and he was gone. He even took the sack that it holds in and he wasn't planning on coming back. And that Alanon lady took me to an AA meeting. I had been to one before, but everything's so foggy at that time. This was the first one that ever registered. I walked into the young people's meeting in Pomona in August of 1964 and I sat in the back. And I listened to the sounds of Alcoholics Anonymous. I listened to the belly laughter, that smile that reaches to the soul, that shine in the eyes, and that happy talk. Those are the sounds of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I walked in, the very first thing that attracted me to this program was what was happening to you. And I knew I didn't have what them people had. I just knew it so bad. 
And I've often wondered what is it and where does it come from. And it came to me one day, and I consider it a spiritual experience. When I realize that these are just empty rooms, that which happens here, we bring it with us. And it intermingles and becomes a group conscience, a higher power. Call it whatever you want. But there is a dynamic something that happens when you and I come together. And if you and me like I was, you don't have it. There was that spark way down inside of me that never died. But I didn't have what them people have. And I knew it. And newcomers, you be lucky like me. I just sat back there. And I let it wash over my soul. And I wanted it. I hungered for it. I just thought it was too bad I was not an alcoholic. I don't know one case. I'm sucking on the wine jug and peeing in bed and other accidents. But it programmed out the only thing I understand. Man, did I want what your people had and I knew how to get it. I looked around at all them sober, single, good-looking young guys and I said, Man, I'm going to get me one of those. And I did. It was the sickest one there he had to be. I got laid on. But I want to believe that it takes what it takes and that's what it took for me. My higher power knows the only language I understand. And for 10 months, I was a visitor in Alcoholics Anonymous. And in Pomona, in those days, they used to go around the room, everybody give their name. And it came to me, and I'd say, I'm Angie, and I'm a visitor. 10 months, I was like that. Nobody ever said, you don't belong here. Somehow, you understood, I've been kicked in the teeth by life and rejected by everybody I'd come in contact with, and I couldn't have stood any more rejection. You put your arm around me and you said, keep coming back. Do you know what that feels like when you're used to people saying, keep on going, weirdo? You said, keep coming back. What a disappointment it was for me when I found out you were telling that to everybody. <laughs> I got a little bit guilty along the line because, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. I might be a potential or something like that. So I quit drinking and I doubled up in the Milltowns and Benzedrine and got weirder. And this guy wants to get rid of me, and I'm not easy to get rid of because I didn't have a backup. So I walked into a room one day, moved to Pomona to be closer to the action, and I walked into a room one day, and there's a cute little boy sitting there. He just got out of YT, as he said, saying he don't have a girlfriend, he don't have a surfboard, and he don't have a car. He had big blue eyes and blonde hair, and I look at this cute young thing, and I think to myself, come here, little boy, I think you're on you. <laughs> and I did. I taught him everything he knows, and today he's practicing at someplace else. <laughs> God, and I educated that young man on sick drugs. But after their relationship was over, he decided to become a minister, and I'd like to think that somehow, in my small way, I helped push him over to God. <laughs> women and I don't trust men and I don't leave you much. It has been 12 years since I'd known her. Had I not known what it was to have a sober day and I was not in shouting distance with reality. And I didn't know anything about withdrawals. All I knew was he used to tell me get sober and live happily ever after and I don't know if my case is different. I walked in streets without any skin on. And I mean that I couldn't live inside my body. 
And he was the one that walked them streets with me at 2 or 3, 4 o'clock in the morning when I couldn't sit, couldn't stand, couldn't lay down, couldn't do anything. And when the devil was within me and I started screaming because I couldn't stand it, he was the one that held me close and prayed over me and stayed close to me. He was the first man that had ever been kind to me. He was the first man that had ever been gentle with me. And everywhere that he went, he wanted to take me with him. And he seemed so proud to be seen with me. And I would have stayed there forever if I could have. I manipulated and did everything I could to stay there. But you see, you and I do not come together by accident. I know this today. We come together by divine appointment. But every relationship has its beginning and its parting, and it was a heavy, heavy thing for me to accept. It took me a long, long time. And when you and I come together, we come not only to learn from each other, but to teach each other. But when that appointment has been met, you go on your way and I go on mine to other experiences. But because our lives have touched, you take a little bit of me with you and you leave a little bit of you behind, and we're never the same. The only relationship that keeps on growing and keeps on growing and keeps on growing is a relationship that I hold with my higher power today that fills up all the empty places. But I didn't know that then. I just would have stayed there forever. Bill Wilson said that the good is the enemy of the best, and I was always willing to settle for some little corner. Well, after three months I got well. Everybody gets well in three months, and it takes three more months to just not to get bored. And I said, well, I might be a little alcoholic, nothing drastic. I walk into rooms, and I didn't see any Mexicans that say, well, they don't like Mexicans, and alcoholics name is under token Mexican. So maybe Mexicans aren't alcoholics. Maybe just we gringo jeans, you know, anything. Though. With that, uh, with that attitude, when God got drunk, so did I. And though it was my, not my worst drunk, it was my most hopeless one. Because again I was at the point where I drink and I drink and my body's drunk and my mind's in agony. And I want to kill myself and again I can't die. I can't live and I can't die and I can't drink and I can't be sober. I put a bag, plastic bag over my head and try to hang myself. My kids ran in and, and, and stopped me and I said, oh my God. And the only place I go, when I don't have no place to go, to the only place they were to put their arm around me and say, keep coming back. And it's one thing for me to know I'm a failure. And it's another thing that now they all know. And when I came back and you put your arm around me and you said, we're glad you're back, I knew you meant it. I, I, I'm not a thinker, I'm a feeler, and I could feel your sincerity. And I fe it felt good to be back. But now I thought I was too alcoholic. You know, they start reading stuff all wrong for people like me. They read something that says, rarely have we seen a person fail. I don't know about the rest of you, but when they say rarely, I know somebody ain't going to make it. <laughs> and then they say, they are such unfortunate, they are not at fault, they seem to have been born that way. Man, I'm screwed, I was always that way. I told you I was always that way. And a little further on down it says, and then there are those that have great emotional and mental disorders. I am so grateful they have that in there because my sobriety sounds like some people's drunk along. I kid you not. <laughs> the miracle for me is not that I've come to Alcoholics Anonymous because hundreds and hundreds of people come and don't stay. The miracle for me is that I am still here. 
And last December the 22nd, I like to um, uh, celebrated my 13th birthday. That is a miracle for me. I am a walking, talking miracle, and I know it. A little further on down, it says many of them do recovery if they have the capacity, to be honest. Now, I believe that this is the reason that I'm there. Not because I'm presumptuous enough to tell you I got the capacity, to be honest, because I really don't know. If I want to do something bad enough, want to do it bad enough, I'll go home and pray about it, meditate about it, and sooner or later, God and I will decide it's His will for me. Once, once I tell me that story, then nothing can lay it on you. But I got the desire to be honest. The essence of my life tonight is my sobriety, and the yearning of my heart is to do whatever my higher power has spared me to do, because I am one of those that believes that I have been spared. And that the idea of surrender does not come to every alcoholic. I've had an opportunity to watch us die, and you and I do not die pretty. We die with a belly full of liver and yellow eyes, throwing up our throats, and we say, but you don't understand, your case is, my case is different. Now, I've checked them out. I was not more honest, more willing, more open-minded than they are, but I have been spared. I don't know why, but I have been spared. I haven't been clean every so often of why I've been spared. I am so grateful to still be in love with the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the only thing that has ever come into my total existence that I have stayed in love with. Everything else has fallen by the, the wayside. And my journey began, and in the beginning they all know more than me. And then I know more than some of them. And then I can't stand some of them, and then I hate one. There isn't anything like hating a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. If you, if you be like me, I went to a meeting every night for the first two years. And in Pomona, we only had one meeting a night, and if you don't go to that meeting, you ain't going to a meeting. And I knew that this guy, I hated him so much. If a hundred people were there, and ninety-nine I loved, and he's the one I didn't care for, I just thought about him all night. <laughs> He'd been sober 250 years and didn't know nothing. And the reason I didn't know he didn't know nothing is because he went to a meeting every night, too. So I used to look at this guy, and I just hated him. Now, I don't have a sponsor because um, I, one had volunteered. Now, you know, I, even though now I'm scared and I'm coming to all doing all these things, I still am too comfortable with them old broads, you know, they, they could only see something about me I didn't want them to see, and the young ones that got check them out and give them lots of room. And this one volunteered and she said things to me like, you gotta give up that young man or one day he will give you up if you stay sober because your, your heads are in two different places. You gotta stay home and be a mother or them girls will grow up, you'll have no communication and you will be sorry. And I thought about what this lady told me and I had never been able to live without a man. Some man to hold me close and make that lonely, horrible something go away at least for a little while. And now I'm not talking about sex, I'm talking about that comfortable, 
one feeling that somebody cares, somebody to fill up all the empty places. And I couldn't stand to be a mother. I didn't know how to be a mother. I'm still a, a child in a woman's body. I need a mother. And I had a lot of trouble with depressions and violence in the early years of my sobriety. And I could not predict how I was going to feel from one hour to the next. Uh, even as I was not having any chemicals inside of me. And so I did the most rational thing. I thought about it and I gave up the sponsor. Uh, I knew how to live without her. She made me feel guilty. So then I made the group my sponsor. And Clancy doesn't remember this, but he was instrumental in me finally getting another sponsor. And I would go to these meetings and I'd go and check out the old timers and I'd say, how do you get over a resentment? And I'd make sure I put a smile on my face. I didn't want you to think I was a bad person. And you'd say, turn it over and you does a beauty shop press one day at time, go and meet the bookie coming back and don't drink. So, I, I went home and I did all this neat stuff. And I come back the next night and it didn't work. I didn't do it right. I didn't go back to you because then you know I was a dummy. So I'd go to somebody else and I'd say, how do you get over with this? And you'd say, turn it over and if you buy this too, shall pass one day. I'll tell keep coming back home with the book and don't drink. After a while, I get the message. You don't know the answer either. But I don't know what I don't know what else to do because you tell me if I don't do all these things, I want to get drunk and I don't want to get drunk anymore. For God's sakes, I don't want to get drunk anymore. So a newcomer, if I got nothing else to say to you tonight, is turn it over and it doesn't just be shut out. My whole sobriety has been just keeping on, keeping on, keeping on. Some days I just survive. Some days I just survive. And the years started passing, I started getting scared that that lady's curse was going to come upon me. I couldn't be the Aussie and Mary type of family. I tried it uh, and drunk, it didn't work, and I tried it sober, and uh, uh, five years sober, I chased this guy around the house once with a hammer in one hand and a knife in the other. Uh, I want to believe that I'm not in too much danger of getting well even today. As soon as I start getting a little bit complacent, something comes up and lets me know where I'm at. The only people that I know how to get well in this program are either drunk or dead. Uh, but I, I'm in no danger of it, and I hope to God that I never never forget that. I, I know that. that. If I keep doing what I'm doing today, up to now, that it's going to be okay. The day came when all my chickens came to roost. I married that young man, and he seemed to, they built 12 golden steps for him. Mine were made like Venetian blinds. Well, you pull, every chicken, then somebody pull the cord on it, and my life has become unmanageable, and on and I went. It seemed always spinning my wheels. And the day came when my higher power said, it's time, it's time, it's time. My kids got big, and they started taking drugs and going through the same route I had been. And I knew it was because of the monstrous woman I had been. I had a sponsor by this time, and she told me the reason you did all that is because of the disease called alcoholism. And I said to myself deep inside, no, it isn't. I just happened to have been a horrible person that was an alcoholic. And I felt so guilty, and I prayed, dear God, spare my babies. God, spare my babies. And he didn't spare my babies. 
I went into a horrible depression one time when I came home and they were so loaded and we had a big fight and I hit them and they ran off and I had one run off to Ohio. I hated my mother only went 20 miles. I don't even know any Mexicans in Ohio. <laughs> the other one went to live in a commune and she came one day, home one day with a burn the size of a silver dollar on her chest where people had been putting cigarettes out on and she wouldn't even take a silver dollar, uh, half a dollar for me to buy a hamburger. And I just died inside. I hear all I ever really wanted from life is to have some little corner, some happy home. And, and here I was the best man that I'd ever been and it still was not to be. I went into a depression and again I contemplated an attempted suicide. That young man went and took me to the psycho ward, went home, packed his clothes and left me. And I felt absolutely devastated inside. And the only reason that I stand before you tonight is because of the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. They came around me and held me up. It wasn't anything like devastating pain for me to make all them walls come down. I had only let a few people in here, not very many. But this, they all crumbled. And it's from the women that came around me that I learned to be a woman. Because I was finally able to share the secrets of my heart with you, and you were able to share the secrets of your heart with me, and I found out we were really not so different. And you didn't tell me to that old reason does it, you knew I knew all that stuff. You just held me close and you loved me and you mothered me. And in Alcoholics Anonymous, we learned to be each other's mamas. If you'd be like me, you never had a mama, not really. But here we learned to be each other's mamas. And you held me close and you stayed with me and you loved me and you mothered me. And it's from the men in Alcoholics Anonymous that treated me like a lady that I learned to be a lady. I was finally able to be honest enough to go to one of you. In all my fear, I asked you, what is wrong with me? What kind of a woman am I that I cannot seem to form a one-to-one -one relationship, not even with a beautiful man like Bruce? And you said, you are a beautiful, warm, loving lady, and one day you will know the reason. I had heard those words many, many times, and this was a very first time I had ever really accepted that there was anything good about me. I went home and I got on my knees and I said to my God, Oh God, thank you for showing me why. Now that I know the reason, bring him back. And he didn't come back. And I thought about all them people and I thought about them and I said, Screw them all, let them do what they goddamn please, I'm tired. And I don't know about you guys, but for me that means surrender. And the only language, the only language I understand, Man, them, them castles in the air die hard. And I went to a meeting in Brentwood in those days, a woman staggered, and there was a big sign on the wall that said, God helps all that don't try to take over his job. And I all right, all right. So I made peace with my maker. I said, okay, God, I'm never going to be happy again. All you ever want me to do is work with a sick woman drunk, let him puke on me. All right, all right. <laughs> Moved to Orange County, had to get away from Pomona area because everything reminded me of my happiness. So I moved to Pomona, to move to Orange County, threw myself completely and absolutely into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Take tap ashtrays, dump, uh, get the coffee, uh, institutional work, everything. And you know, I don't know about your higher power, but mine has a weird sense of humor.
When I want something so bad, oh God, Jesus, one time, please give me this, God. Never ask for nothing again. Ten Hail Marys and ten Our Fathers every time, baby, give me this, God. It don't come. As soon as we say, score, here it comes, here it comes. <laughs> now, I'm not here to tell you that young man came back because he went on to another life. But because I threw myself completely and absolutely into this program, I left out with dignity and self-respect today. Because I was allowed to survive that first big loss in my life. When I got to the other side, I realize that nothing and nobody can defeat me today. Because I have a power within me that sustains me and keeps me going. Keep on, keeping on, keeping on. I have experienced many losses since then. But you see, I never have to have the big fear. I know, I know today that a person does not have it to give that big need inside of me. I just spread it around into a lot of people. And whatever left over seems to be more than enough for some poor young guy. Or for, for any man in my life. And I don't have no young guys in my life. Well, don't do that no more, folks. <laughs> and they don't do those things anymore. I am one of those ladies that have had to learn to live alone to find out the difference between being alone and being alone. I am never alone today. I never had it so good. Somebody asked me how I said, never had it so good. And I mean that. It, it just gets better and better and better. And the freedom grows more and more and more. My sponsor says the horizons get broader, but the road gets narrower and it's worth it. I'm telling you it's worth it. My kids came back to move with me one at a time. I don't even care if they come back anymore. But they came back and they stayed with me till they were 20 and 21 by choice. They went to work and they put me through school and today I'm self-supporting through my own contributions. <laughs> and you know, sometimes I got both of them at home at the same time and one sits on one side of me and the other one sits on the other side of me and we just love and we cry and we love. And we're able to tell each other I love you and, and we touch a lot and we kiss a lot because we're lovers. And I'm overpaid for anything I thought I missed out on. I've known tonight Nothing and nobody owns me tonight. The closest anything's come to own me is a candy bar or soda crackers. Because I just don't know when to stop at nothing that I think I like. <laughs> I often wonder what would happen the next time another crisis comes into my life, as comes to every person's life. And I had that opportunity and today I consider it an opportunity because time heals all pain. You remember that baby I had held in my arms so many years ago, the one that had the big silver dollar or a burn on her chest? She turned out to be a 200-pound Mexican mama that married her a little 120-pound little Oki. <laughs> and they look like the odd couple. If she stands sideways, you can't see him. Uh, but this man looks at my daughter the way I would want a man to look at my daughter. And they were going to make me a grandma. And God, was I all turned on to being a grandma. You know, one of the cutest things I remember is they come home to do the laundry. And they came home and did the, brought in the laundry and brought in the laundry. I mean, stacks of it. And the, the, they went in the washer and the dryer and then the pile got bigger to, to fold it. And she gets pregnant and sicker. I, I know, I did those things too. And he sits there right next to this big pile of clothes and, and folds her big underpants and his little underpants. <laughs> that was so funny. 
going to be here next week, and I'm going to hear me talk. I hope none of you tell her what I say about should <laughs> Two weeks before I, I, she was going to make me a grandma, I went to see my sister. My sister and I had become very, very close in about two years. We had always been hating each other. I was jealous of her. She was everything I ever wanted to be. She had the respect of the community. Her kids never took part and went to school and all that jazz. And a husband that adored her and bought her new cars and clothes and, and uh, never had to work. And, and here I was dog. And uh, my mother always said, this is my daughter Alice. Get back there, Angie. They're always trying to hide me. Somehow we had gotten very close and she was drinking so much and I tried to, to tell her about this program but she always compared herself to me and, and I was so much worse than she ever thought of being so she didn't think she was an alcoholic and I didn't know how to talk to her. I went to see her one day and she chose to put the car in the garage and she chose to take her life. And it was my destiny to be the one to find her. And death had never touched my life that close. And I could not believe what was before my eyes. I just wanted to explode. And I did what, what uh, automatically I did, is I called you. Frank, God bless Frank. Or and his wife Carol and Annie came and they held me up and they held me close and I hit the bedrock of my sobriety in those days something came together within me that said God is the only giver and the only taker of life she chose to go and he let her go home how many times did I want to die Maybe it had never been anything that I wanted drunk or sober somehow whenever somebody died I always felt envious I wanted to die too I just, life had not been something I wanted. And I realized then that I just hadn't wanted to die in a long time, and I didn't know when. Newcomer, I don't come to save you, to teach you, to give you nothing. If I could have saved anybody, would have been my sister that was heavy into booze and pills. I can't even save myself. I come to share my life with you because somehow I believe that I have been given a gift of communication. Somehow I believe I have been spared because I am God's melody alive and he sings his song through me. He sings his song through me. Someplace, somewhere out there, somebody needs to know the places I come from, my story before and after, and that we too belong here. I don't know about you, but I've had it with being a second-class citizen. I love the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and the people that do not try to drive me out of here because I am who I am. Two weeks after my sister killed herself, I became a grandma, and I'm so turned on to being a grandma. His hand was light upon me, and I was a grandma to a little baby girl. And I'm telling you, I'm a heavy as a grandma. I'm terrific. I'm the greatest grandma. I hold my head up and, uh, and compare myself to any grandma. I might have been a two loss as a mother, but I'm telling you, I'm good as a grandma. Huh? When that baby was a year old, she knew who I was. Man, I'd go over there and stick the lollipop in her mouth. I just she knew I was. But you see, my God has a weird sense of humor. And when that baby was a year old, the father joined the service and they sent him to Alaska. 
I don't even know any Mexicans in Alaska, God. So guess where they took my grandbaby? To Alaska, you're right. And while they were over there, they had another one. And I had an opportunity to go to Alaska. Probably would not have gone. And I'll tell you how many Mexicans they got there and they thought I was an Eskimo. <laughs> And I have been coming into Alaska. I've been there twice this uh, summer already. And, you know, I, I couldn't stand it. I just know underneath it all that it's God's will. But it just so seems to me that it's because she married that loser. It just seems to me that way. And so one of the things that, that, that really makes a, makes a, impresses the hell out of me is that last February they came and stayed two weeks with me and he was there too in my house and not once did I say an unkind thing to him. I mean, I didn't say nothing unkind. If you know how sleepy I can be, you know what a big thing that is for me. So that's a program of Alcoholics Anonymous in action. Well, you saw that, that this last time I was there, he, he treated me very nice, and I treated him very nice. And God willing, uh, next Thursday, a week from tomorrow, my daughter and the two grandbabies are coming over and uh, spending a couple of weeks with me. I have been so, so happy in this program. I never had it so good. The big book says that I will know a new freedom and a new happiness. I will comprehend the word serenity and I will know peace and many, many other promises. But just the one that says I will know, comprehend the word serenity and I will know peace are so meaningful to me. They are not because I read them or because somebody told them to me. It's because I have experienced these feelings. I have touched sobriety because he has touched me. May he do the same for you. Thank you so much. Thank you.